Hey, Castro, go purge. I'm long-winded, so our uh, our guest with our, our segment with John Doss went longer than it should have, and uh, I'm crushed for time, so I'm not going to waste any time in getting to the fan focus. I should also tease that hot take Friday an hour from now, depending on when the Guardians game ends. We'll see. We might have to adjust a little bit. But first up on the docket, we go to Ken and Lima this morning who had a little bit of a conversation about the PG coverage of the NBA draft last night. This coverage is for family and friends. Quite literally, that's what the coverage I watched was for, family and friends. They didn't say a bad thing about anything. They never said a player had a weakness. They never said that maybe a GM could have considered a different pick. They didn't do that at all. They just went into... Hey, how did you overcome all that adversity? Well, I told the haters, and I I, to, I totally proved to the doubters that I belonged here. It's like, you're the second pick in the draft. What are you talking about? What doubters did you have? You went second overall. Yeah, you, you're going to sign a $30 million deal instantly. Everybody does that. Everybody they do. Everybody has the doubters. They the do, but they played to it. Yeah. The people asking the questions. The girl, what is it, Monica McNutt? Yes. She Very nice, very pleasant, great personality. Gregarious. She does, she does the uh, Knicks color analyst, yeah. and she is great at it. Yeah, she is. She's got I a lot of personality. About that. But, I love her. But yesterday, they had her on the couch, and she's the same interview 60 times. And it was, how amazing is this moment that you've be able, been able to overcome all of this to get to where we were right she's here? She's covering and the And the NBA. same interview went the same way 100% of so the time. If you're and I'm like, this is not interesting. See, if you're doing the NFL draft, and you're just an interviewer or something like that, you can learn and know who these people are in a relatively decent amount of time and know who these people are coming out of the draft, and you've heard of them. You haven't heard of any of these guys. Scoot Henderson playing in the G League. I don't know about the G League. There's a team that plays at the Wayne State Arena or the Wayne State Fieldhouse. You know where the Wayne State Fieldhouse is? Where is that? It's at the campus of Wayne State University, on the north side of Detroit, Michigan, it holds 3,000 people. It's the home of the Motor City Crews. You have a lot of these guys, they put her at a disadvantage, and she can learn as much as she can, but it's going to turn into, what, what are you going to do? Are you going you gonna to go after him? you going to grill him? No. I appreciate the context on this because, again, being in studio last night hosting, we, we, didn't, have the, we didn't have the volume on. We couldn't listen to the actual draft coverage, so... To hear Lima talk about how it was just everyone gushing about how great these guys are and leaning into the narratives that they're they're pitching about or throwing out there about how they were underdog, this great underdog story, even if they weren't, I didn't know that. I think Lima has a point that in the NFL draft, like they th- that conversation divulged into a deeper thing about how there's not really in the NBA or for basketball like a draft expert like you have with the Mel Kuypers and um, – Todd McShay's uh, like ESPN has for that time of year. You don't have that with the with the NBA. It you get you get Jay Billis up there, uh, you get JJ Redick up there like they had, and they can provide some insight into these guys somewhat, and they know the game. But you don't have that guy who really dives into the numbers and figures all this out throughout the year and is this expert. I think that maybe is why you saw maybe that PG as I described it coverage of the NBA draft versus what you get for the NFL. It's interesting. I, I didn't know that it was sort of talked about and presented that way, but I'm fascinated to see if it's a trend every year, if they change it, or 
if that's just kind of the way they do it with the NBA. It's completely different. All right, next up we go to Afternoon Drive and sort of bold statement from Nick Wilson who says the Cavs aren't a core four. Like, I don't I don't know anybody in town, and I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't heard too many people mad at Jared Allen. I think if you've displaced anger about that Knicks series, specifically on Jared Allen, uh, you are absolving J.B. Bickerstaff, you are absolving Darius, you are absolving Evan, you are absolving Donovan, you are absolving a culture. You're absolving a culture that allowed you to get handled by a lesser talented team in five games. So I don't want to trade Jared Allen because of how he looked in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to trade. I, I only want to trade Jared Allen if I can get a piece or two or three that helps you better recollect yourself and redirect your assets around those first three players. It's not a big. It's not a core four. It's a lie. No, and, and listen, not many teams. In fact, there really aren't any teams that have a core four, mm-hmm. like a true core four. Like we've got four players, really on any given season, any of them could be an all star. Yep, it's incredible. But is there a fit? Yep. And I, you know, getting back to that, the three franchise players are Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and they're Donovan Mitchell. Jared Allen will never be a core player. It's just not who he is. Well, and, and think about this, Nick. I think the core four line, and I think Nick sort of said this here, is just a lie. It's a cutesy thing for us to say as fans to sort of assess the roster and feel like it, there's something established here, a, a core four. It, it doesn't actually mean that Jared Allen is necessarily this franchise-altering, championship-winning player. And to Dustin's point, like, yeah, it's about fit. That's what the Cavs have to sort of address this offseason. They have to decide if all four of these guys fit together or if there's a different iteration that they should be trying to pursue and put together. I think based off how the playoffs go, we kind of know the answer to that. If they're going to try to run it back because they think it's too too early in the process to know, then I guess we're going to have to live with that and we'll be asking ourselves the same questions next year. But I don't know that... I put that much emphasis on, like, well, this is supposed to be a core four. They're supposed to have four dominant players. Like, I understand Jared Allen is who Jared Allen is. Uh, He probably is the lesser of the group. But the core four thing is just a line. It's just a a tagline for fans to kind of get excited and describe the current state of the team. Next, we go to Baskin and Phelps. They were talking about the NBA draft last night as well, and something that I noticed while I was hosting, man, does that thing take a long time. Yeah, I, it still blows my mind to think about how many rounds they used to have in the NBA draft. Although, as I was watching well, last pretty night... pretty amazing. Jeff, as I was watching last night, and like the first round always takes forever, right? And it felt like, what time... Did the first round end at like 11-something? Oh, I don't think it was I, that late. What, it felt that way. Second round flies. It almost made me think if I was the NBA... And I thought I had enough fans, even though I think it's you're looking at these teams like not ever probably using a guy from the second or third round, if, a second round. But I thought about what if they did the first round on one night on a Thursday and then did a third, added a third round also to supplement, you know, some of the minor leagues here. Well, they'll, they'll the just dra- sign right. guys as free agents. I know, so, but why not maybe do it as a draft so you get a TV show? I don't know if it would cost them more to do that to you, add a third I'm, round. I'm sorry. Did you watch the first round? 
Uh, yeah. Were you entertained enough to tune in to watch the third? I was <laughs> barely there after after someone walked up to me and said, "Oh, um, Victor Wembanyama went to the Spurs." I was like, "Whoa, shocker! You're serious? Can't believe that!" First of all, Baskin was right. The first round did end at 11-something because I distinctly remember we were having Evan Damerel on at 11 o'clock. And as we were starting the interview, we, there was like pick 28 or 29. So he was right. His idea about a third round, I'm sorry, Baskin, just terrible. In the words of Charles Barkley, terrible. Phelps made that pretty clear, too. Like, were the first two rounds entertaining enough that you really want a third round of that? It dragged on. I also think there's there's a there's a notoriety with the NFL that the NBA just doesn't have. You can name maybe there's there's fans of the NFL out there who can name guys through rounds one through seven potentially because maybe there's some hometown player that gets drafted as Mr. Irrelevant or something like that that they know from their high school or college that's close by. But in the NBA, we just don't know these guys. And after the first three, like I said, Scoot Henderson, uh, Miller. And Wembenyama, like, after that, most people zoned out, didn't have a clue. They didn't know who these people were. And they tuned back in when their team was drafting just to see, like, oh, who is this guy? And then Google. No need for a third round. It was long enough as is. And it would just be completely unnecessary. Our fourth cut, we go back to the morning show where Ken and Lima share, or Lima rather, share an interesting story about a what he thought was a cute moment with a ch- a friend of theirs' child, but uh, his wife felt differently. We saw some friends who, I think they were on a trip, and they had poured a Guinness. So they were enjoying a Guinness. Where was the trip at? On their trip. I believe London. Oh, this was international. But Yeah, international, and they brought their child. Of course, that, that offset, or set off, I should say, a number of questions about why aren't we getting on an airplane? Why aren't we going anywhere? Well, anyway, uh, they... In the video, we're having a ton of fun, having that Guinness, relaxing on their trip. And, of course, Guinness is known for what? There's a certain pour. A big, frothy head. And there's a perfect pour. In fact, people go to school to get certified in the perfect Guinness pour. And this looked to me, Ken, like a perfect Guinness pour. Next thing you know, their 11-month-old was enjoying the foam and then what looked to be a little more of the alcohol, too. Not just, I know the foam has well, some alcohol. how much was it. the 11-month-old? 11, 11 yeah. How much was the 11-month-old boozing? Oh, not not big time at all. But just clearly tasting the foam, enjoying the foam. It was a good photo op. It was a lovable, cuddly photo op all right. with their baby. My wife was like, we're not going to be doing that. <laughs> we are. Was she upset about not, it? I think she thought it was irresponsible. To let a baby have any kind of alcohol intake ever. And I said, well, wait a second. I thought that a lot of people have told us that if our baby's ever sick or teething you do the whiskey situation, deal. you do the whiskey. And she said, well, that's that's different. Is it different? Or are these are these such minute portions of alcohol? What does she that there's not there's not it's well, not the like foam. It's I not like the baby's the gonna foam. get behind the the, the wheels of it's not operating heavy machinery. Yeah. It's not like she's going to no. get behind and get a, get a bobcat no. going there. Our baby can't even really put the the blocks the blocks down in the right pattern. So the problem is what? Does it look irresponsible? No, is it irresponsible? No. This story uh, was funny because it's, it's so relatable as a new parent myself. 
I can tell you, I don't. My wife would not. I think my wife would be in the same boat as Lima's wife. I think my wife would see that and she'd say, ah, it's a little dicey there. I and I can re- again, the whiskey on the gum thing. I threw that out there as an idea, like tongue in cheek, half joking, a couple times when uh, my son was experiencing teething. And she shut it down quick. She was like, that's just something that they used to do. We don't do that anymore in today's day and age. We have other methods. Absolutely not. If she, if, if my wife saw that, she would have been just as triggered. I know it. I wouldn't really care. I'm not a big Guinness drinker anyway. But I understand where maybe this couple thought it was just kind of like a funny, cutesy thing. Fine, whatever. Uh, but I can see where wives or certain parents might think it was irresponsible. All right. Last one. As we go back to Afternoon Drive, and this is going to segue into the next segment here. Afternoon Drive had an interesting conversation about the expiration on being able to celebrate championships. I think I might have seen my favorite sports take of the offseason, Dustin. And that would be? Well, Jarrett Bailey, who's an NFL writer for the USA Today, he actually tweeted about something today that I didn't even know bugged me. You know, like, there are just things about sports that we accepted. And by the way, you can follow him on Twitter, at NFL. want to give him some credit since he, he kind of came up with this topic. But, like, there are so many things that happen in the course of fandom that they're, like, things we just accept that we don't even know how annoying they are. So Jarrett tweeted out five hours ago, new rule, if you weren't alive to witness your team win a championship, you don't get to flex the championship. Dustin, is that is that opinion, is that rule charming or chach? I think it's totally, totally legit. Um, that would be charming. That'd be charming. Yeah, it's not the big word. Yeah. I got my old board up. I'm, I'm going to call him out right now. His name's Josh. I call him Itty Bitty Fitty because he looks like Scott Fitterer, the Panthers GM's illegitimate son. So I call him IBF. And he was a this kid from BFE. I almost said the real thing there. That was close. He was from the middle of nowhere in... You know, just outside of Charlotte. And his teams were the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Knicks, and the New York Mets. So he was a, he's about a decade or more younger than me. So in his life, he had never seen a Mets, a Knicks, or a Cowboys championship. And this kid talked about all three teams as if they were the creme de la creme. Well, you know, we won that, that title... We, hey, sure, it's been a while, but we won a title in 96. What did you guys win? And I'm like, I don't think you get to flex on this. And not just that. I think we should have, and it's and I, I will, we're going to have to define this. I think there's a statute of limitations on bragging about championships. I just think it might be different for every fan base in every situation. I love this conversation so much so. We're going to talk about it next segment. Is there a statute of limitations on celebrating championships? And beyond that, if you didn't see the championship, are you even able to brag about it as a fan? We'll talk about it next because I agree with Nick that there's some maybe different rules for different fan bases and different scenarios. We'll do it when we get back on the fan. It's Spencer German in for JP on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. 